Good Friday morning. We are tracking a major storm moving across the country. And it could impact your weekend plans. It's December 8th. This is today. Wild weather, a massive storm taking aim at the entire East Coast. Heavy rain, strong winds, even snow set to take its toll on one of the final weekends before Christmas. Al has the full forecast. Breaking overnight, Hunter Biden indicted on new federal charges, accused of scheming to avoid paying taxes. This morning, the mounting legal trouble he faces and what it means for President Biden, his campaign, and the Republican push to impeach him. Hate crime, a man arrested for firing shots outside of a New York synagogue on the first night of Hanukkah. While on college campuses, Jewish students voice new concerns about threats to their safety. And the Ivy League president facing calls to resign this morning after her testimony on Capitol Hill draws outrage. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. If the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. We'll have the very latest. Football and fraud. A Jacksonville Jaguars employee accused of stealing tens of millions of dollars from the team and using it to fund a lavish lifestyle from cars to homes to vacations inside the ongoing investigation and the reaction from NFL officials. Oprah wows on the red carpet showing off her recent weight loss. What's going on? Because if this is Weight Watchers, please sign me up tonight. Well, it's, it's not one thing, it's everything. What she's saying about her new look. Today, Friday, December 8th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Today We Got There. It's Friday morning. Nice to have you along with us. A lot of people making plans over the weekend, and the weather's going to be really important. Take a look at Park City, Utah. Snow is already falling this morning. It's part of a major system. It is set to bring heavy rain, wind, some snow to some areas, tens of millions at risk over the next few days. And for those counting, this is coming with just 16 days until Christmas. And many are hoping to get some shopping done this weekend. It might get a little complicated as Mm -hmm. far as the weather is concerned. Al, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys, and good morning to all of you. And here's what we're looking at. We've got this atmospheric river arriving Saturday in the Pacific Northwest, but the low pressure system then starts to develop. It is already developing over Utah, dumping snow throughout the Rockies. This system today moves cross-country, dropping snow across the Rockies. Thunderstorms are going to be developing over the plains this evening. And by tomorrow, we've got this line of showers stretching from Texas all the way up to the Great Lakes. Periods of heavy rain. And we've got the risk of severe weather Saturday afternoon into the evening. Damaging wind gusts from Nashville, Memphis, El Dorado, down to Lake Charles, Houston, Texas, Tyler as well. Damaging winds, we're talking about the possibility of tornado and there are going to be large areas of hail with this. Sunday the system moves into the east, soaking rain from Raleigh, Asheville down to Savannah, but back behind it we're looking at snow developing. Windy conditions are going to be a big problem, so here are the storm impacts. Flooding rainfall, coast to coast. We're talking pounding of water, 
in poor drainage areas, the rises of rivers and streams from Boston all the way down to Atlanta. Winds are going to be a problem Sunday into Monday. Wind gusts of up to 50 to 60 miles per hour. Airport delays are likely. And interior sections from the Appalachians all the way up into upstate New York, anywhere from three to six inches of snow. I-90 is going to be a problem. I-80, I-77 as well. So we're going to be watching that very closely. So a big impact storm going right on into Monday, guys. All right, right, we'll check back in a bit. Also breaking overnight, new legal troubles for Hunter Biden, the president's son indicted by a grand jury in California on nine federal tax charges. This is the second indictment stemming from a long-running special counsel investigation into his business dealings, and it could have substantial political repercussions for the president as well. NBC's senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett, here to break it all down. Laura, good morning. Hey, Savannah, good morning to you. Ever since his plea deal with prosecutors fell apart over the summer, questions have swirled about this investigation into Hunter Biden and where it might be going. His tax issues, they're well known at this point, but now a bunch of new details all out in the open. This morning, a dramatic escalation of the criminal investigation into Hunter Biden, the president's son now accused of a criminal scheme of tax fraud. A new indictment charging Biden with failing to pay his taxes on time and instead spending millions of dollars on an extravagant lifestyle. A federal jury in Los Angeles indicting Hunter Biden on nine counts, including three felonies. The 56-page indictment saying Biden earned millions in income between 2016 and 2020. But the defendant spent this money on drugs, escorts and girlfriends, luxury hotels and rental properties, exotic cars, clothing and other items of a personal nature. In short, everything but his taxes. Prosecutors laying out a devastating portrait of Hunter Biden creating false business deductions. In one example, prosecutors alleging that Biden wired an employee money and labeled it a golf member deposit, when according to prosecutors, it was used to purchase a membership in a sex club. These latest charges all part of the investigation led by special counsel David Weiss. Weiss's team brought federal gun charges against Biden in Delaware back in September. Hunter Biden attorney Abby Lowell said in a statement that if the president's son's last name was anything other than Biden, the charges in Delaware and now in California would not have been brought. President Joe Biden is not mentioned in this new indictment, but the allegations are sure to kick up a political firestorm. The president has held firm in his support of his son in the past. First of all, my son's done nothing wrong. The president now facing the possibility of his son going to trial in two places in the midst of his reelection bid. So, Laura, I mean, there was this plea deal. It fell apart. Now here we are. Is there any chance that another plea deal could come along or is this definitely going to trial? There's always a chance. I don't want to rule that out, but it just seems that they've now reached that juncture where the two sides are too far apart. And if you think about it, really, Biden has lost his leverage. Now it's sort of all out in the open. And the idea that this is actually going to go to trial, we've heard some of the evidence now. Those are witnesses that are going to have to come and testify in open court. And remember, this case, in an, obviously about tax fraud, it would be different if it was a situation where it was somebody who was broke and down on the look. They have all this evidence of all the money that 
that he was making. It was not as if he didn't have the money. He just didn't pay his taxes. He eventually did pay it back, but prosecutors obviously say that doesn't matter. All right. And then quickly, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about him coming to testify before Congress. He wants to do so publicly. Where does that stand? I think this now is much more complicated for him because anything he says in Congress obviously cannot be used against him as well. All right, Laura, thank you. Let's turn now to the Middle East, guys. This morning, Israel and Hamas are engaged in new fighting and new accusations. There's also a push to speed up the delivery of humanitarian aid to civilians in Gaza. While here at home, new concerns over anti-Semitism. We do have two reports. We're going to begin with NBC's chief foreign correspondent, Richard Engel, who is in Israel for us. Richard, good morning. Uh, Good morning. As Israel's continuing its military campaign against Hamas in Gaza, the United States is now pressuring Israel to do more to speed up the delivery of humanitarian aid. The UN is now warning of a humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza as Israel expands its offensive against Hamas to southern Gaza, where hundreds of thousands of Palestinians are seeking refuge. U.S. officials are pressing Israel to explain what it plans next. On Thursday, Secretary Blinken laid down what sounded like red lines. We cannot have uh, an Israeli reoccupation of Gaza. Uh, We cannot have uh, forced displacement of Palestinians uh, from Gaza. Uh, We cannot have the territory of Gaza uh, diminished uh, in any way. Sealed off from the world, Gazans are helping each other. In Rafah, Teachers paint Razan Arafat's face with a dove for peace. She lost her left leg, relatives say, in an Israeli strike that killed her parents and siblings. Her aunt is taking care of her. The aunt tells us Razan screams nonstop when talking about her family. Israel says it has two goals, to drive Hamas from power and return the remaining 137 hostages. In Israel, Irina Tati returned to kibbutz Niroz. The 73-year-old was held by Hamas in Gaza and freed last week. She was overwhelmed by the damage. Irina came back to her home to collect a prayer book for Hanukkah. What's it like for you to come back here after all that you've been through? Here I feel better, but not very well. I want the war to stop, she says. She did not want to talk about what happened to her while she was held captive. Irina's neighbor, Rita Lifshitz, says many here are furious at Hamas and the government for being too slow to react to Hamas's attack. How did it take eight hours to have a response? Why it took eight hours? Because they didn't care. They left us here. As across Israel overnight, candles were lit for Hanukkah and prayers for the hostages' safe return. And regarding efforts to return to a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas that could see potentially the release of more hostages and a pause in the violence once again, intermediaries tell NBC News so far they're not seeing anything serious. Hoda. All right, Richard Engel for us there in Jerusalem. Richard, thank you. And here at home, there are mounting concerns over the rise in anti-Semitism. Overnight, a shooting has soaked new fears. NBC's Stephanie Goss joins us with the details. Stephanie, good morning. Savannah, good morning. Tensions are still rising across the country during the Israel-Hamas war, including on college campuses as well. Law enforcement nationwide have been tracking an uptick in threats. And last night, an alarming scene at a synagogue in New York. Shots fired on the first night of Hanukkah. Just hours before the start of Hanukkah, at least two shots fired outside a temple in Albany, New York, yesterday. While two dozen preschoolers were at the synagogue, none were injured. 
Police arresting 28-year-old Mufid Fawaz Al-Qadr and charging him federally with illegal possession of a firearm. The case also being investigated as a potential hate crime. We were told by uh, responding officers that he made a comment, uh, free Palestine. Jewish students on college campuses also concerned for their safety. At the University of Pennsylvania, President Liz McGill is under fire following her comments at this week's anti-Semitism hearing on Capitol Hill, where she and the presidents of Harvard and MIT testified for hours, each condemning anti-Semitism while attempting to embrace the importance of free speech. But it was exchanges with New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik that triggered widespread criticism. I am asking specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The answer is yes. Calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard Code of Conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The White House weighing in after the hearing. We should all stand firmly against calls for genocide. The governor of Pennsylvania, a Democrat who is also Jewish, taking aim at Penn's president. Leaders have a responsibility to speak and act with moral clarity. And Liz McGill failed to meet that simple test. President McGill attempting to clarify her comments. That a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetrate. It's evil, plain and simple. Harvard's president also writing, calls for genocide of any group are vile, adding they have no place at Harvard. President McGill says Penn would immediately examine and clarify its policies regarding speech. But the school is now also facing a major financial hit. A wealthy donor is threatening to withdraw a $100 million donation, calling on the school to replace President McGill. A university spokesperson tells NBC News the board of trustees has no plans plans to change leadership. But overnight, the board of the influential Wharton School of Business called on her to step down. Guys, back to you. All right, Stephanie, thank you. It is 714. Craig joins the table. Craig, good morning. Hey, Hoda, Savannah, good morning. Good morning to you as well. Some new details are emerging about that 67-year-old gunman and the deadly shooting spree on the UNLV campus. The victims, all faculty members. We're also seeing some new images, some videos as the chaos unfolded. NBC's Steve Patterson joins us now from Las Vegas with more. Steve, good morning to you. Craig, good morning to you. Police say the first officers arrived on scene some 78 seconds after that original 911 call came in. And if not for their quick actions, they say the suspect's next target would have been likely right where I'm standing at the student union. This morning, new video showing unimaginable terror on campus. Police hunting for a mass shooter on the move. Students, staff, and faculty inside UNLV's business school gripped by fear as shots rang out. The gunshot was so close, I, I feel like he's coming in. And the only thing you can do is praying that he doesn't pick this room. Last night, the community coming together in a first attempt at healing. Let us find comfort in each other's presence. Police say the suspect, 67-year-old Anthony Polito, opened fire on the building's fourth floor, shooting four faculty members, three fatally. 64-year-old Professor Jerry Chang, 39-year-old Assistant Professor Patricia Navarro-Velez, and a third faculty member who police are not naming until family is notified. The lone survivor, a 38-year-old visiting professor, is stable. 
Authorities say Polito applied for a job at the school but was not hired. We're still learning a lot about this suspect and still trying to understand motive. He previously worked at universities across the Southeast, touted his membership in Menza, the High IQ Society, and was prone to posting conspiracy theories on his personal website. Investigators say the shootings were targeted. The suspect had a list of people he was seeking on a university campus. Authorities releasing this video of the gunman's shootout with police moments before he was killed. Business law student Caleb Malise was in class when he heard shots. Firefly starts to kick in. Just a few years ago, Malise says he was also at the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history, the 2017 Las Vegas Music Festival that left 58 people dead. I feel like I'm in the wrong place, wrong time sometimes, but, you know, I'm glad that I'm able to, to walk through it. Deep wounds in a community now searching for a way forward. A lot of souls are going to be hurting for a really long time. And originally, authorities very worried. They say the suspect mailed out 22 letters to his targets, at least one of which containing an unknown white powder. They've since found that powder to be harmless. Craig? Just disturbing on so many levels. Uh, Steve Patterson there in Las Vegas. Steve, thank you. All right, Mr. Roker. Good morning, everybody. Here's what's going on around the rest of the country for today. The East Coast looks gorgeous today. Plenty of sunshine, mild conditions. That will be changing, though, in the next 48 hours. Evening storms coming into the central plains. Blowing snow going to be working its way through the northern plains. Cascades as well. Gorgeous weather in much of California today. And that's your latest weather, guys. All right, Al, thank you. I still ahead a stunning fraud case in the NFL, a former employee of the Jacksonville Jaguars accused of stealing tens of millions of dollars from the team. NBC's Sam Brooks following that story for us. Hey, Sam, morning. Hoda, good morning. His attorney is actually speaking out and saying that those stolen goods weren't spent, or I should say stolen money wasn't spent on goods, but on gambling. What is the NFL saying about this? Coming up right after the break. All right, Sam. And then just ahead, Oprah Winfrey turning heads on the red carpet, showing off her dramatic new weight loss. People want to know how she did it, what she is revealing about that stunning slimmed down figure. But first, this is Today on NBC. If you ever needed to be persuaded that bad things can happen anywhere, then take a journey with us. From compelling mysteries to in-depth investigations, our Dateline episodes are available as podcasts. Follow Dateline NBC now to get new episodes every Tuesday. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com. Great storytelling with a twist from the True Crime Original. Listen up, true crime fans. It's a big murder trial underway. This Dateline is launching a new podcast with Andrea Canning. Welcome to Dateline True Crime Weekly. We'll cover breaking crime news around I the mean, country. It is the twists, the turns, the With craziness. the best reporters on the case, NBC News analysts, and Dateline producers on the ground. Murder. Break it down for us. Just You'll as get as fresh as insights and behind-the-scenes scoops from crime scenes to courtrooms. That is bizarre. Stay in the, the know and up-to-date. So tell us what he said. It Follow Dateline True Crime Weekly to get new episodes starting Thursday. Wherever you get your podcasts. We do. Oh, we're back. 730. 
Wow, you guys, beautiful tree and incredible crowd. Yes. You want to see what holiday spirit looks like? Right here. <laughs> you are looking at it. A lot of folks came in early, 4.30, 5 o'clock. Everybody came. 16 short days yeah, until Christmas. 16? By the way, that woman who just turned 60, you just saw her yes. sign. They were out first in line, yeah. freaking out. So we're going to have to go out and give our love. Yeah. For sure. I love it when they show up and they've got the yeah. antlers on and they're wearing the Christmas yeah. tree hats. Yeah. Keep it going. We yeah. love this holiday spirit. We'll get outside in just a moment. First, though, in this half hour, a fraud case out of Florida that's grabbing national headlines. Yeah, former employee of the NFL's Jacksonville Jaguars accused of stealing $22 million from the NFL franchise, allegedly using that money to finance a lavish lifestyle. NBC's Sam Brock joins us with the latest on this. Sam, good morning. Yeah, Savannah, Hoda, Craig, good morning. Look, this is interesting. The attorney for Ahmed Patel says that his client will plead guilty to fraud charges, but he says he didn't spend all of that money on these luxury items. He said that 99% of the $22 million was spent on gambling, guys, a sensitive subject for the NFL, which has a strict gambling policy. On the field, the Jacksonville Jaguars have enjoyed high-flying success this season. But off the gridiron, new federal charges accuse one of the team's former employees of astronomical theft to the tune of $22 million. The Justice Department laying out how Amit Patel, a Jaguars employee from 2018 to 2023, used an elaborate scheme involving virtual corporate credit cards to steal all that money and allegedly spend it on lavish items including a Florida condo, a new Tesla Model 3, a country club membership, a $95,000 watch, and online gambling websites. Kaylin Collar with The Athletic broke the story with her colleague, Katie Strang. Is this as crazy as it sounds? A Jaguars employee responsible for financial planning is accused of stealing $22 million. It is as crazy as it sounds. This is not an everyday headline. This is a very unique story. He was supposed to be safeguarding this business's finances, and instead he was actually accused of stealing from the team. In a statement, Patel's attorney, Alex King, says his client suffers from a serious gambling addiction and checked himself into a rehab facility this spring, saying this all came about because NFL officials were investigating his gambling activities. Approximately 99% of the funds misappropriated from the Jaguars' VCC, or virtual corporate card, were gambling losses, King said. Since partnering with multiple online betting sites several years ago, the NFL has been very strict about rules around gambling and essentially banning it for employees. Several high-profile players have been punished, but this is easily the most significant alleged employee violation, with the NFL noting in a statement, a league review uncovered no evidence indicating any inside information was used or that any game was compromised in any way. What did you make of the NFL's reaction to this criminal investigation? Well, that is the NFL's main concern here. This is their big thing. The optics matter so much to them. They want to be seen as putting on fair games. So the league, of course, is adamant, guys, that no games were compromised. The Jaguars, in their statement, said that Patel was a financial planning manager, had no access to football strategy or personnel. It is also interesting to note that the DOJ says that he was basically the sole administrator of this virtual credit program, perhaps something they may be re-examining after this. Back to you. Yeah, a lot of questions there, Sam. Thank you. Let's turn now to Oprah Winfrey. She's been very vocal through the years about her weight loss struggles. And this week, the media mogul turned heads on the red carpet. 
Stunning. That stunning, slimmed-down new look. And fans are wondering, how did she do that? NBC's Liz Kreutz is here with more on this. Hey, Liz. Hey, guys. Good morning. Oprah has always been open about her battles with weight as a way to reduce, uh, inspire others and reduce shame. Well, now the icon is generating some buzz with her new physique. Oprah, can we get away? They're the new images of Oprah, slimmed down and stunning on two red carpets this week. Oprah, all of a sudden, right, looks thinner than ever. Winfrey speaking to E.T. about how she lost the weight at the Color Purple premiere. Some fans speculating she used more than just diet and exercise. I'm not sure how I feel about that she didn't just come out and say, yes, I take the medication. At her weight loss summit in September, the media mogul addressed it. When I first started hearing about the weight loss drugs, I felt I've got to do this on my own. I've got to do this on my own because if I take the drug, that's the easy way out. I've got to do it the hard way. I've got to keep climbing the mountains. I got to keep suffering. I got to do that because otherwise I somehow cheated myself. Winfrey says she wasn't criticizing people who use weight loss drugs. It should be yours to own and not to be shamed about it. As a person who's been shamed for so many years, I'm just sick of it. I'm just sick of it. But the backlash was swift. Shares in Weight Watchers, a company partially owned by Winfrey, falling 15% the next day. Winfrey clarifying her stance to the Wall Street Journal, saying, I believe that prescription medications are an important and viable option to consider for people who struggle with weight. This is what 67 pounds of fat looks like. For decades, the queen of all media has openly shared her weight loss journey. You all have watched me diet and diet and diet and diet. It's a recurring thing because my body always seems to want to go back to a certain weight. Now, as she approaches her 70th birthday next month, the icon proving once again it's never too late to achieve your goals. And we've reached out to Winfrey for comment. We have not heard back. But no matter how she lost the weight, guys, it's fair to say she looks healthier and happier than ever. She looks amazing. Yeah. The beauty. Really and does. by the way, her, her bestie, Gail, looks really good, too. Yeah. They yeah. Both, they're yeah. both looking good. All right. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. Coming up, have you seen this? Taylor Swift, the Hanukkah version. Mm. You know what? We got 36 minutes without mentioning Taylor Swift, but here it is. All right, we're going to hear from the talented group putting a festive spin on the music star's biggest hits. Uh, before that, though, we're going to explore America's prescription drug shortage, why the problem is only getting worse this winter, and how you can actually find those medications that you might need. We'll do that right after this. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Willie Geist here, reminding you to check out the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. On this week's episode, I get together with my NBC neighbor, Jimmy Fallon, to talk about his 10 years as host of The Tonight Show, 
reflecting on his long career in comedy, his years at SNL, and yes, landing the biggest job in late night. A little time backstage with Jimmy Fallon. You can get our conversation now for free wherever you download your podcasts. Welcome back. This morning on In-Depth Today, a nationwide crisis that is only getting worse. Yeah, we're talking about a, a shortage of key prescription drugs. NBC's senior business correspondent, Christine Romans, is here with some details on this. And, Christine, this is uh, really troubling, especially for a lot of parents. Yeah, absolutely. Good morning, you guys. Look, the cold and flu season is here, and last year's shortage of those medicines is not expected this year. That's the good news. But there are big problems for a host of important medications, from cancer meds, amoxicillin, ADHD, and depression treatments. It has doctors and patients scrambling. Frustrations are growing nationwide over unfilled prescriptions. Widespread drug shortages are making it harder for many Americans to find their medications. It's getting worse. Misty Heeman lives in Minnesota and says it's like a full-time job to track down ADHD medication for her three sons. Have you found any hacks or is this just you deal on a day-by-day basis? day-by-day basis. Sometimes I won't give some of my kids meds like at three o'clock. So I know I have them for the school day if I have to. Heeman says she's had to switch her kids to different prescriptions based on what's available. It's a daily struggle shared on social media. Whoever or whatever is causing the shortage, cut it out. I need my medicine. With users posting about how they're unable to pick up prescriptions on time or forced to change their treatment schedules. My seven-year-old does not have his ADHD medication because both of the pharmacies are out of it. The issue ringing an alarm on Capitol Hill. Drug shortages are a significant public health risk of the highest national priority. This cancer doctor telling lawmakers the drug shortage could be a matter of life or death for some patients. Many of my colleagues have been forced to make impossible choices, including to choose which patients will be prioritized to receive potentially curative therapy. According to an American Cancer Society survey, one in 10 people being treated today say they've experienced drug shortage in the past year. When we talk about a shortage of drugs for cancer treatment, that that could actually be a life or death, couldn't it? We also don't know the long-term harms because we don't have the data about switching between cancer drugs. Um, We probably won't know um, what will happen until a few years from now. You know, patients may uh, forego a chance at a cure. The problem is widespread. One in three U.S. hospitals are severely affected by drug shortages. And by early fall, there were 305 ongoing drug shortages nationwide, the most in a decade. Why are there shortages of life-saving drugs in this country? The main reason for most of these shortages is a quality problem at the manufacturing facilities. It is across all drug classes, um, but most, again, most of these are generic drugs. I mean, it's it's just wild to think about this happening in the United States of America. Yeah. If if this does happen to someone, if they're struggling to find a medication that they need, what should they do? What could they do? So all over the country today, people are scrambling to get a prescription filled and they're going to have trouble. Right. So the first thing experts say is don't panic. You know, you have to make a plan. Talk to your doctor. Maybe your doctor can write a prescription for a different drug that mm-hmm. is works similarly. similarly. You could also ask for um, a different dosage. Sometimes that works. Some things are uh, extended release or quick release. You can you can work around that with your doctor. But also the experts say use the portal with your doctor's office. Have you noticed how they want mm-hmm. you to sign up? Yeah. For, yeah. You can really 
should be texting and talking in real time with your doctor's office on this. And doctors and doctor's offices know this is happening, too. So they're working with patients trying to figure out how to get around it. Last week, the Biden administration um, said that they were going to use the Defense Production Act to try to ramp up domestic Mm -hmm. manufacturing of these drugs Mm -hmm. so we can longer term figure this out. But it is a real problem. It's a problem that's been worsening for about a decade. We were looking for a prescription for amoxicillin or something, and we went to three different CBSs. But on the fourth one, we found they just happened to have it. So and these moms sometimes you and, get lucky. And these yeah. moms and dads say it's a, it's a part-time or full-time job just trying yeah. to yeah. keep your, trying to your house stocked with the right medicine. Yeah. Wow. Thank Thanks, Christine. It's a good story. All right, 745. Mr. Roker, how about a check of the weather? By the way, Jason, it's so, it's so crowded our plaza. Take a look. People are lining up across the street. Wait. Oh. I mean, they are all out there. This wow. is so nice to see you all. Lovely. All right. Well, in the meantime, let's take a look and show you what we've got going on right here. You you saw a plaza. Uh, So ahead of the system, it's going to be bringing big problems across the country. Behind it, much colder air. Uh, Salt Lake City, 36, 22 in Telluride. Look at the temperatures ahead of this. Minneapolis, 20 degrees above average at 50. Abilene, Texas, 80 degrees. Pittsburgh, 15 degrees warmer than usual, 57. Tomorrow, again, temperatures below normal behind the front. Ahead of it, Chicago, 50 degrees. 75, Shreveport, Atlanta, almost 70 degrees. That's 12 degrees warmer than usual. Then the front comes through, and look at how the temperatures crash. Sunday, 64 in Philadelphia, 43 on Tuesday, 71 in Richmond Sunday, Tuesday, 50 degrees. Boston, 61 on Sunday, a 20-degree drop by Tuesday at 41 degrees. And that's your latest weather, guys. All right, Al, still ahead, we're going to brighten your morning with the latest stop on our merriest Main Street tour. Also, wow, they came out in Colorado. Coming up, everybody loves holiday movies. The question is, which one is uh, the favorite in your state? We've got the data to tell you that. You might be surprised, too. We'll run through the new list on Popstar.